The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville Nine that day. The score stood 4-2 to two, with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a pall-like silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to hope, which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought, if only Casey could get a whack at that, we'd put up even money now with Casey at the bat. But when preceded Casey, as did Jimmy Blake, and the former was a hoodoo while the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of Casey getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonderment of all, and Blake, the must despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and men saw what had occurred, there was Jimmy safe at second and Flynn a hug in third. Then from 5,000 throats and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley. It rattled in the dell. It pounded on the mountain and recoiled upon the flat for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile lit Casey's face. And when responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat. No stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then, while writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance flashed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered spear came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball unheeded sped. That ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on a stone and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand, as likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult, he bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the Dunsphere flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two. Fraud! cried the man thousands, and echoed, answered fraud. But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold, they saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip, his teeth are clenched in hate, he pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go. And now that air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in the favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. 
but there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dump on the Yump, ostensibly a baseball podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming at you from Champaign, Illinois, my name is Joel. Tonight is Sunday, June the 28th. With me tonight, as per usual, is Sam. Sam, how's it going? Hey, Joel. I'm doing well. I'm coming at you from New York, Brooklyn, New York, as usual. And I, we don't usually do hot takes on the B Block, but I have a hot take, and that is that I've never uh, associated myself more with any literary figure than I have with the guy in the stands who screams, kill the umpire. (laughs) Strike one. Right? Yeah. I heard that line. I was like, oh, that's me. I'm that guy. (laughs) Right. The motherfucker was like, those are both called strikes. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, that's my hot take. Uh, I found my my literary spirit animal, I guess. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. It's good. It's a that. big moment for me. It's a big moment for me. I'm glad that I got to share it with all of you millions of Dump on the Ump fans out there. Yeah. All right, so this is Dump on the Ump. This is the B Block. And as you guessed, we are continuing our literary theme that we started last week. That's Casey at the Bat by Ernest Lawrence Thayer. Written in 1888, he was 26 years old when he wrote that poem. Um, so Sam talked to us last week about Donald Hall's book, Fathers playing catch with sons, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, uh, last week, Sam talked about the titular essay in that collection of essays. But now he's going to talk to us about another essay. And then uh, we also might fucking talk about Robert Frost if we got time. So lots on the docket. I hope you're excited about it. Sam, you ready? Yeah, ready to Uh, go. Take it away. All right, so we talked last week about uh, Fathers Playing Catch Catch with Sons um, by Donald Hall, uh, poet in essayist, uh, former poet laureate. Um, And we read some poetry. It was fun. Uh, You know, some people responded positively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got got quite a bit of positive responses. I think... In this age of coronavirus, what do we have if not poetry? Right. right. Uh, and this next like excerpt from this book that we're going to talk about uh, is another essay. All the essays are by, are by Donald Hall. Um, but yes. this essay is called The Poet's Game. Um, <clears throat> and it's kind of about the link between poetry and baseball. Uh, and we started yeah. off with the poem Casey at the Bat because that is the most famous baseball poem ever written. Uh, And it turns out there are a shitload of them. Uh, But that one, to this day, remains the most famous. May I make an argument for Take Me Out to the Ballgame? Right. Technically a poem. Even though it's put to music? Sure. I think so. Well... We're 
writing, you know, we're talking about poets in baseball past couple yeah. of weeks and Donald Hall references Casey at the bat and so does um, Robert Frost in his thing. So I would say okay. the uh, ball game is like maybe not as famous, at least within poetic circles. How about right. that? Okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. I want to come back to that because okay. I, I, I've got a soft spot for taking out some ball. Okay, as, as a poem, not just as a song, but as a um, one other thing I wanted to ask because you said that you immediately identified with the dude yelling, kill the umpire. Right. So it's like I had like a deja vu, like I just remembered a dream that I had forgotten moment, you know? Right. Yeah. 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 Or, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. A memory from a previous <laughs> life. <laughs> totally. Yeah. When you that poem as a kid, uh-huh. did it make you sad? Um, kind of, but also kind of not. Yeah. Like, the arrogance. I didn't appreciate the arrogance of that guy. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, I feel like he got what was We're on the same page bit. on this yeah. one. Yeah. 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 Good. I'm glad about that. And when I was reading it just now, my thought was, damn, this picture, like, throws Mike Trout. Like, right. Like, he doesn't swing at any of the pitches. You probably have what? Breaking ball, breaking ball, fastball. Right. Yeah. And he throws that fucking hardcore. Yeah, we're actually we'll get into this, but it's not clear whether or not there was a breaking ball at that point. Oh, okay. You go go for it. I'm excited. Okay. I'm excited conversation. Oh, man. So, Sam is Sam is dropping acid right now. <laughs> Get ready, ladies and gentlemen. It's, an it's just an aspirin, coated in acid. Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Um, okay, so I'm just going to read you the first um, paragraph of this essay to kind of get us started with the conversation. Ready. Um, and it's in contrary to what you, you know, you'll take exception to this because it doesn't include take me out to the ball game. But uh, it goes, everybody knows Casey at the bat, that ritual humiliation of the hero before radio killed the practice of public recitation. Everybody knew it by heart. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, our four mothers and forefathers boomed out Ernest L. Thayer's bumpy meter. The sun is shining bright, and somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there is no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. Uh, so, that's how he starts off this essay. Right. Uh, and, it, uh, and it goes on to say that despite the fact that everyone knows that poem, um, few fans of baseball or poetry seem to have noticed that baseball has always been the preferred sport of American poets. Um, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Push, push on that. Why is baseball? It goes on. Uh, yeah. It goes on 
to talk about how um, all of the great baseball, all of the great American poets have gone to um, have been baseball fans. And he starts like, off with like Walt, Walt Whitman. Wh- like Walt Whitman. Okay, I got you. I'm following. I'm following. Right. Among baseball's early fans were the greatest American poets. In 1846, while he was still a journalist, about a decade before Ralph Waldo Emerson welcomed Leaves of Grass, Walt Whitman reported about baseball for the Brooklyn Daily Eagle. The modern game was just beginning, and Whitman lived to see baseball become national under standard rules. Um, And he talks about Walt Whitman uh, and his lifelong love for this game and how he got his start in, like, writing as a journalist about baseball. Uh, Right. And so kind of the thesis of the argument, of the the thesis of this essay is basically that poets are drawn to baseball because baseball contains the essence of the pastoral. uh, And he he talks about the, the pastoral being, like, the poetic shepherd like wooing the mythical wood nymph or whatever. Right, Um, right. Baseball contains the same essence of that sort of theory. For sure. Okay, let me interject on that because I fucking love that. I believed that until a few years ago that baseball was the sport of the pastoral. It is, but only in myth, right? Field of dreams. Emphasis on dreams. Baseball is an urban sport. Baseball was born in the cities of New York, Boston, and Philadelphia, and then a few few years later, Chicago. It's an amazing sport because... mm, Maybe it's a, it's like the original Disneyland because you recreate the image of the pastoral inside an urban setting, right? And that's right. the breathtaking moment when you walk into a baseball field is that you're walking out of Chicago or New right. York or into Boston into a, a green field. Right. Well, but you're also walking into the past. Yes. This is another, this is an argument, I mean, another, in a different essay that comes before this. He makes this, like, we talked last week about the argument of baseball uh, reaching through generations into the past and how it's like, he makes this argument how, like, baseball is the same as it ever has been. Stop, 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 stop. Bill says you're recording. Okay. Uh, I can't hear you, though. I mean, I can't hear you. <laughs> oh. On my end, it says you're recording the call still. So, Fixed. Uh, I, I don't know if I should keep going or, or not. Keep Fixed. Going. Fixed. Keep going. Fixed. I apologize. Okay. <laughs> My bad. My bad. Fixed. Okay, so the whole argument about how... Everything everything was recorded. 
I, 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 I did not hear about 30 seconds of what you said. Okay. Yeah. Well, he, he writes an essay about Fenway Park and about mm. how walking into Fenway Park is kind of like walking into the past um, and how baseball fans reject change until it happens and then they just accept it as if it has already has always been that way. And he talks about how when they brought the uh, the video screen to Fenway Park and how everyone hated the idea and like it was completely destroyed in the press and all the fans were against it and then it happened and then everyone just immediately acted like that was it had always been there. And how Oh wow. Wow his theory like the, the his ideas that baseball, even though it is changes all the time, like the essence of it never changes. And like the baseball fans act as if there are no, like all the changes are like, they're like, they're set in stone, just like the game has always been. And that's fucked up. That's fucked up. Yeah. And so that, and and that's he said. And by that, fucked up, let me say that's prescient. If you don't want me to say it's fucked up, it's prescient, because we're dealing with that all the time. Right. Like, how do we recreate the sport that we love constantly? That is constantly changing. Right. Um. Yeah, and there's a lot of like proposed rule changes. Um. And there's a lot of rule changes that have happened recently that people have been way against. And like the pitch clock. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, I'm opposed to a guy on second base. Yeah. Getting us off track, though. Let's get back on to Donald Hall, because what happens when we walk into the baseball field and get taken back in time? Well, that I mean, that's kind of the whole point is like that that same situation happens um, if you walk into a field and there is artificial turf. Like, like AstroTurf is like a major thing in his, because I think that like at the point he was writing a lot of these essays, like AstroTurf was first popping up. 70s and 80s. Yeah. Yeah. And so his whole point is like, you know, we walk into a, we walk into a field with a plastic rug and it's the same as, it was for our grandfather who was walking into, you know, whatever field. Okay, so would he agree? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want yeah. you to find a passage. Here's my question, but you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to. Right. Would he agree with we as fans, baseball is a spell that we cast upon ourselves? Right, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is the passage I wanted to read. It's about Walt Whitman. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And because Walt Whitman, like he he like this Donald Hall poet laureate, and he calls Walt Whitman uh, the greatest American poet. So I thought that like his take on Walt Whitman's take on baseball probably was important, right? Yeah, he ain't wrong. He ain't wrong. Right. I got, I got, you know, if you want to talk to me about who the greatest American poet, I might spoil, but you know, whatever. I, right. 
right. So this is this is the passage. As the game developed in Whitman's old age, accelerating its change, becoming pervasive and nearly uniform, he heard about an innovation that disturbed him greatly, just as the designated hitter and plastic grass disturb literary fans today. Whitman heard rumors of the curveball. He spoke to a friend named Thomas Hernard, who dropped by to visit him after seeing a ball game. Whitman asked him if it, Whitman asked him if it was true. If it was true these days that the fellow who pitches the ball aims to pitch it in such a way that the batter cannot hit it, that's in quotes. Sorry. Quotes. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, I guess you. In the game of Whitman's youth, the pitcher served the ball underhanded, and it was his purpose to make it easy to hit. The notion that pit- pitchers would employ deception seemed morally reprehensible, unfair, and undemocratic to Walt Whitman. He lamented the state of the grand old sport. He lamented the state the grand old sport had sunk to. I should call it everything that is damnable damnable said the old man yeah that's in the ken burns documentary also people got people got mad about the curveball (laughs) (laughs) oh and i forget what year was instituted if it was it's about the 1880s also okay so what's the goddamn point uh, the goddamn point is that you and I are getting all bent out of shape by a man on second base. And after the 10th inning, yeah. right? Yeah. Or 12th inning, 10th inning. 10th, yeah. That's fucked up. Yep, yep, right. yep, yep, yep. Uh, and Walt Whitman was getting all bent out of shape about the curveball. <laughs> and, the, and the universal D8. The National right. League should not have a DH. Ah. I agree with that, but I'm less than bent out of shape about it. Wait, wait, yeah. wait, 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 wait. Like, I like I the difference the between the leagues and the, the DH being in the American League and not in the National League. But I'm not, like, bent out of shape about the change uh, because I, I felt like it was inevitable for a while now especially with the way that pitchers' salaries have been going. Like, yeah, people are going to want to, like... I mean, I, I feel like that's... You know, hopefully it doesn't change, but I don't see how it doesn't change. Okay, so let's get away from that. Now, because... Oh, man. I, I love the conversation. Okay, what do you got next? Well, um, next I have a conversation. Well, he... He goes into uh, academia, right? He, he starts talking about, like, writing challenges and exercises. Um, and he has a quote from Thomas Jefferson, which I thought I'd bring up because... My boy. So, My boy. You're so, like, way into Thomas Jefferson right now. <clears throat> and I'm going to read this quote to you, and you tell me what you think about it. Um so, and for, this is like a, this is a writing exercise, right? For fans, for fans of the show, I have spent the last several days arguing about why I don't like Thomas Jefferson on Facebook. Right. Go I'm going to give you another reason. I'm excited. I'm excited. Okay. Thank so you. Tom, Thomas Jefferson said, and I quote, games played with the ball 
stamp no character on the mind. <laughs> and so... <laughs> and so... And he said, an opinion which is generally supported you know, by the You know who Thomas Jefferson would hate? You know who ah, Thomas yeah. Jefferson would hate? LeBron James. <laughs> Boom! <laughs> Okay. Is that all you have? That's all you got? That's all I got. That's all I got. Okay. Well, he his whole point is that uh, the that quote from Thomas Jefferson has to do like completely is at odds with his own experience with baseball and then like uh, other people's sure. experience with baseball as well. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's about playing games as I'll wait for you to finish peeing uh, as educational, right? Like, and that's oh man, <sighs> what the problem I want us to address right now is this idea of baseball as myth, like, and you and you highlighted it to us later about, like, I'm mad about starting a fucker at second base. Like, we shouldn't do that. But I've got video of Honus Wagner yelling at how baseball is only about the money now in 1927. Right. Yeah. God, I wish that, like, we could get a get that guy in a time machine and bring him to like watch this negotiation between players and owners. <laughs> I wish we could get Honus Wagner on this podcast. Right. It would get real racist real fast, probably. <laughs> it would it'd be a very short podcast. It'd be a really short podcast. <laughs> we'd be like so excited that it would start and we'd like immediately just put on elevator music. <laughs> We gotta stop. We gotta stop caps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Technical difficulties. Be right back. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. So the, the whole the whole point of that that argument in that passage was like, uh, if baseball is just a sport, if it's like just entertainment, then why has it been so central to a lot of these famous? poets lives um and influential in their work i guess like why is casey at the bat so famous what's the answer to that it baseball is more than that i don't i mean i don't know okay yes um america is different than that like i don't think america is different than that I think that what we need to figure out is that do we want to I mean I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that America is different than that if the education is like sports over academia. You know what I mean? No, okay. <laughs> let me let me push it this way. So like 
every every nation has its sets of origin myths. So George Washington cutting down <coughs> cherry trees is a myth. Right. right? That didn't actually happen. But that's one of our country's original myths. What's fucked up is that we need baseball to actually become an original myth. Because really what baseball is about is about money and who's making money. But if we want it to transcend as transcendentalists would have liked it to have done, then we need to make baseball about something. And we need to lie. We need to lie and say that baseball is about something more than money. Right. That's what we need to do. Well, that's Are we, the thing is, is that it is for us. Yeah, but it's not for Mike Trout. Or Rob Manfred. Right. For them, it's a business. It's about money. Right. And if that's the way that they're going to play it, then it also has to be subject to antitrust laws. There you got it. There you got it. What, 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 you, you got it right there. You're correct. They are making baseball less than what it was. Right. The, the, the promise of baseball is elevating America mythologically above what we really are. Baseball is what we could be. We could be... Oh, I Baseball. There's also a different essay about growing old in baseball, which also in the Robert Frost essay he talks about is how (coughs) baseball is also about... um, Oh, no, I guess this is just the Donald Hall. He talks about how baseball is the arc of life in Fast Forward, where you're young when you're 20 and you're old when you're 35. And so a kid like Ted Williams, who you know when you're in grade school, is... uh, you know, a veteran by the time you're out of high school and is an old man by the time you're out of college. Right. And, um, and that, like, and he, he talks about baseball for children, introducing them into the adult world in that way. Um, and also, like, connecting generations in that, like, you'll never talk to your father's friends about anything that's important to you or to them because what's important to you is like the seventh grade girl you have a crush on and what's important to them is like their mortgage or their like car payments or whatever and you have nothing in common but you can both like you can talk about baseball you can talk about your team together you know Yes, yes. Um, oh, man. <clears throat> I 
Like, is baseball a means to preserve the oppressive society, or can we use baseball as a tool to deconstruct the oppressive society? I think it could be either. Yeah. And I think that it's like, I think it's neither. And I think that like, that's the reason that it originally got its antitrust exemption in the first place. Yes, I agree. It was a neutral, it was Switzerland. It was neutral. It was, it was in the middle of everything and kind of something that everybody could touch on, but didn't really it, it touched everybody, but never took anybody's side. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. Keep like going. Like you though. took their side. Like you were a Red Sox fan, or you were a Dodgers fan, or you were a White Sox fan. But it's never like the White Sox will never be your fan. You know what I mean? Like this is something that you was you could describe to, and Donald Trump could also be a White Sox fan. I mean, everyone knows he's a Yankees fan, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't don't fucking put Donald right. Trump on my fucking like. You know, uh, Michael Bloomberg, and no, that doesn't work because they're both billionaires. Um, well, but that's what we're talking about. Sorry. Okay. 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 I I apologize. Like. We need to get back to the poetry because what we're talking about. This is like the essence of baseball that appeals yes. to poets, I think. Yes. Is that it, it's, it's, uh, it's greater than uh, and it's outside of and it exists central to American society and also outside of it, you know? Yes. <clears throat> And what the essence of this podcast is, is trying to find the reconciliation between this concept of baseball as transcendental, as driven by love and hope and faith, and this idea of baseball as like a goddamn business. Right. That's that's the the thing I cannot reconcile. Right. And because like, at the at the end of the day, baseball is a business. It's not about uh, reconciling the it, American spirit. It's an exceptionally profitable business, despite it's, what the owners w- may say. Right. Exceptionally profitable. So I wish it would be about what's best for America, but it's not. Right. And thus should no longer be covered by an antitrust exemption. And thus should no longer be covered by an antitrust exemption. Right. Kamala Harris, I know you listen to this podcast. I'm just saying. Okay. Oh! I'm mad. I'm mad right now. You okay with that? Yeah, good. I'm, I yeah. hope you're mad. Yeah. <laughs> All right, where are we going next? Um, 
Well, should I read this out with a poem? Uh, no, you should talk about Robert Frost. Oh, Robert Frost. You read yeah. that essay, too. Yeah. Should uh, we save that? Should we save that for next week? Yeah, let's save yeah. that for okay. next week. Yeah. Read us out on a, on a poem. Baseball. Okay, okay, wait, no. Before you start this. How do we deal with the mythology of baseball? Um, well, baseball, we've talked about how baseball is like really anti-change, right? And right. we talked a little bit about it today, too. Um, but the thing is, is that like baseball no longer is in the central of the like American sports focus even even right. sports not right. just like imagination you know um i don't remember that's a good point that's a, no your point is that like basketball and football are driving american sports not baseball right. not baseball yeah and so for baseball to still operate as it is as a completely insular and enclosed system that can do whatever the fuck it wants to without fear of repercussions from the outside, like that needs to change. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I know I've been crowing about antitrust exemptions, but even outside of that, like, you know, the fans aren't going to, like, the fans are dying of coronavirus because they're all so old, you know? <laughs> that ain't funny, but I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's not funny, but it's aggressively topical. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Damn. Okay, so let's, all right, before you read your poem. Right. Well, no, well that's the thing. It's like... <clears throat> Even, like, in baseball's, like, this could be baseball's twilight age, you know? Like, yeah, this could be the, like, ancient Rome right before it toppled, like, on top of the fucking world as far yeah. as, like, money and revenue. And then, but just totally out of touch and just, that's it. You ain't wrong. Right. The, the like, maybe poets are watching basketball now. Sure, that's okay. That's okay. That's what I'm trying to say. Okay, right. like although Donald Hall writes about basketball too. Yeah. Oh, let's do that next week, please. Can we do that next week? <laughs> maybe we'll see. Let's let the poets save America. Let's let the folks who don't have. Any power right now, save America. That's what we need in our lives. Like, Casey strikes out. Casey strikes out. But what about that goddamn pitcher, man? Right. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like that poem really should have been about that guy. That poem should have been around the picture. 
The picture was probably black, so. The picture was black. I was thinking about that. <laughs> and, and, you know, Casey was probably white, so that's why the poem is. Casey's black. definitely white. Yeah. You know Casey's white. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, don't give up on America. We are not giving up on America. We are drinking gin and tonics. Sam, what's the best gin and tonic? I don't know. Gin, like mostly gin and a little bit of tonic with like some lime in there, probably. Yeah. Uh, Lots of ice. Lots of ice. Big glass. Lots of ice. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. We'll probably do another poetry episode. Right, because Robert Frost. We haven't even talked about him. We haven't. Fuck, we haven't even talked about Frost. So sad. But we gotta go. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much. This has been Dump on the Up, ostensibly a baseball podcast. I think we're close to solving the problem of why folks don't give a damn about baseball no more. Yeah, we're all old and dying of coronavirus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Period. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. Have a good evening and a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>